Okay. So, uh, hello, everyone. Uh, thank you very much for joining today's webinar. Uh, my name is Isabella Kosman. I am uh, the member of Kayagen uh, Digital Insight Support. Here today, we are with my colleague, uh, Marta Niedicka, uh, who is an expert in uh, Kayagen Digital Insight Scientific and Technical uh, Support Team. Uh, you may already know Marta from uh, our QDI uh, support. Um, Marta also holds a PhD in evolutionary biology from Jagiellon University. Thank you, Isa. Okay, so today's webinar is uh, about DNA-Sec analysis with KHN CLC Genomics Workbench Tools. So let me start first with a short disclaimer. KHN products are shown here are intended uh, for molecular biology applications. These products are not intended for the diagnosis, prevention, or treatment of a disease. And let's move to the uh, to our topic for today. Um, so Workbench offers a variety of tools that can be used for analysis of DNA-seq, either resequencing analysis or uh, de novo assembly. Resequencing analysis is done when we want to use information from the known reference to find and investigate variants, while de novo assembly is used to create a reference. And today, I will present the resequencing analysis steps with appropriate tools and parameters um, in general, and I will discuss uh, top uh, basic tools um, uh, like trimming, read mapping, variant calling, annotating, and filtering the variants. I will show you how to visualize the data and share some useful resources with you. And uh, as Isa mentioned, at the end of the presentation, we'll have some time for Q&A session. Okay, so after you import your reads into the workbench, you can open the sequencing list that contains it and explore uh, this file. You can find uh, that the quality scores let me just show it here. Quality scores uh, are provided in form of graph below the sequence. So we have a sequence for each read, and then we have a quality scores below. And we can see uh, that sometimes uh, there is no quality scores for N, or we have some uh, lower quality scores in some regions. So this we can already see um, on the sequencing list. And we can see that the reads can have values between 0 and it's capped to up to 64 on this graph. Uh, and these quality scores are called thread quality scores. It is a measurement of the quality of identification of the bases during the sequencing. So this is a, a sequencer which generates these values. They are coded in the files with reads, for example, in FASTQ files, and they are provided on the logarithmic scale, meaning that every increase in the quality thread score, for example, from 10 to 20, is actually a base call accuracy increase from 90 to 99%, so an order of magnitude higher. And then when the reads uh, are imported, it is worth, worth to run a quality control check on them. And let me show you the report from this tool right now. So we have a tool that is called QC for sequencing reads, um, which we can launch uh, from, for example, quick, quick launch uh, tool if we know where to look at it. So here is QC for sequencing reads. If we click on it, we can select our sequence list and run the report. They have such report here. Uh, and this uh, report has three main sections, uh, and we can see it on the table of the uh, in the table of contents here on the right. Uh, there is a summary uh, at 
top where you can look what kind of data uh, you have here when it was generated and with which version of the workbench. And then we have the actual QC for sequencing reads report. So in first section, you can first see the length distribution of your reads. Uh, and here you may see um, sometimes graph like this, that most of the reads uh, is around one particular value, but you have some shorter reads. If there was a trimming done on the sequencer, if there was no, nothing, uh, no trimming performed on the sequencer machine, you will see just one uh, block, one, one bar uh, here because all reads are of exactly same sequence length. Then we have a graph with uh, GC content. And here we can check that uh, GC content distribution is within our expectations based on the genome we use for the analysis. And if there are any additional peaks that could indicate contaminants in our data set. We have information amb about ambiguous based content that will happen also only if this option is available in a sequencer settings and end presence uh, depends if the sequencer actually outputs this um, ambiguous nucleotides and quality distribution. So here we can look uh, at our uh, quality uh, thread scores on x-axis, and we can look how broad or narrow our distribution of quality scores is and what is the average of it. Then we can look a little bit more into pair-based pair analysis. So we have the coverage information, which can drop uh, if there is an even length of the reads. We have the nucleotide contribution graphs. And here uh, we can check a lot of information about possible adapters presence, common sequence, like in this example, some homopolymers maybe, uh, homopolymer tails. And in general, here is the place that we can check if the structure of the read is as expected uh, for our uh, data. And you can also uh, see a nucleotide contribution for R1 and R2. Uh, and then we have, uh, again, a GC content graph for the read. So we can see if there is any bias regarding GC content uh, in our fragments and ambiguous-based content as well. Uh, and you may also be careful uh, to check always the y-axis here, because as you can see, the range here is dynamic. So sometimes there might be something that looks like a huge peak. But actually, when we look at the value at the top of our uh, graph, it is not, uh, not any actual peak that we should worry about. So we can always click twice on the graph to open it in a separate window. And here we can change the um, maximum and minimum of the axis range. So if I change this one to 100%, I won't see actually anything or some small peaks maybe here at the bottom. So that may help you estimate if you really should worry about something or not. Then we have a quality distribution graph, uh, which uh, you can uh, quite often see that there is some drop in quality uh, at the end of your reads, uh, especially in R2 on Illumina. Uh, and at the end, we have the overrepresentation analysis where we can check the most overrepresented uh, MERS, uh, homopolymers, short sequences, and we can take a look again if there is anything that should worry us. Again, please be careful regarding the y-axis. And at the very end, we can take a look at the sequence and application information. And we can use the information from this graph together with the information from all other parts of the report. Uh, so we can infer what kind of an issue is observed if there is actually 
some issues that we didn't anticipate in our data. And if we need more information, duplicated sequences will be provided also in the supplementary uh, report if we need more information. Um, so let me show you some examples of what you can see on the QC for sequencing reads report. Uh, so uh, you may notice here that the quality distribution may also depend, uh, may depend of course on your data set, but also on the sequencer platform. Uh, and uh, here on the right, you can see uh, the quality scores that are very low, uh, indicating some serious issues with this data set that should be explored. Um, and uh, here we have one more graph at the bottom where we have a quality distribution within the read. So we have base positions here, and we can also see this um, decrease of quality toward the end of the reads. Uh, which uh, you can offer, often observe on Illumina reads, not necessarily in the same way as shown in this graph. You see, you saw a moment before on my workbench that there was a small uh, decrease in quality. It was also Illumina data set. Um, and often this quality might be worse on R2 comparing to R1 read in case of PERT and Illumina data. And then we uh, have some uh, more examples of uh, graphs that indicate uh, some issues with your sequencing reads. So here we have some issue with the length distribution. We have uh, long and short reads uh, together. Uh, so there was some issue with the upstream analysis that led to these two uh, types of the reads and uh, that probably something happened that should be further investigated. We can see multiple peaks on the quality distribution graph that is also unexpected and can be related to the length issues. So maybe some of these reads have high quality scores and the, the other probably these short reads are of low quality. And here we have um, and the very uh, messy nucleot contributions graph uh, where we can see that in the middle of the reads there are some poly A tails uh, and also later on some poly G tail uh, apparently. Um, and here uh, we can also see again that there is enrichment of poly A tail uh, somewhere in the middle of the uh, nucleotide positions uh, of the reads. Um, so we have a confirmation about some poly A enrichment in this data. Maybe there was some problem with uneven fragmentations. Um, so here, these are the examples of issues that you may, um, uh, may uh, assess during the quality control so that you would like to avoid and check what's, what's uh, happening there. And when you confirm that the data set quality is good uh, for downstream analysis, or at least you are aware of uh, some issues like lower quality than expected, uh, and that sh you should take into account uh, when analyze analyzing your um, results further, uh, or maybe that you have some adapters that you should be trimmed, um, then you can move to the next step in preparation of your data set, so to trimming. And we have um, um, a trim reads tool, um, that's, that's exactly how it is called, stream reads. Uh, and it has multiple parameters and five main sections of trimming type that it can perform. So first we have a quality trimming. So this, um, in this step can use uh, quality scores from the reads to trim sequence ends in case they have lower quality scores than the rest of the sequence. There is one parameter provided quality limit used by the trimming algorithm. And we provide a very nice example with the whole calculation um, of how this, uh, this is done and how this parameter is used for the trimming in, uh, on our manual page regarding trim reads tool. 
Um, and in this section, you can also see the option to trim ambiguous nucleotides. If the sequencer outputs ambiguous nucleotides, typically N, um, here you can provide the maximum number of these ambiguities if it is set, for example, to two. The algorithm finds the maximum length region containing two or fewer ambiguities and then trims away the ends not included in this region. So the longest region of the sequence with maximum two ambiguous nucleotides within it will be retained. And the, the ends with some additional ambiguities will be dropped. Then we have the adapter trimming section, which includes uh, two options, automatic adapter read-through adapter trimming option for paired reads. Uh, and this option will find the adapters present on paired reads and uh, trimming based on trim adapter list. So you can provide a list of specific adapters for your data and use it for trimming. And you can see here that uh, I provided some trim adapter list and I have a preview of uh, on, on a small sub subset if any of these adapters were detected. And then we have a homopolymer training. Uh, so uh, that uh, removes uh, homopolymers from uh, five prime end or three prime end. The most commonly used option would be from three prime end of the read. And you can also select which uh, type of homopolymers you would like to remove from your data. Then we have sequence trimming. This option helps to remove fixed number of bases and we can also trim to fixed length. So here first we can remove fixed number of bases uh, from selected uh, side of the read. And here we can remove bases until the read is of the fixed length uh, from the, and again, we can decide which end of the sequence we want to trim. Uh, so for example, if you want to have reads of maximum length of 50 base pairs, you, we can do this uh, at this step of trimming. And then uh, finally, we have sequence filtering option. So this is um, the option that um, allows you to discard too short or too long reads, respectively below or above the specified threshold. And here I have uh, one more example to show you how important it is to properly trim adapters. Here we have read mapping in which Illumina adapters were not trimmed from the reads. So here we have a read mapping with Illumina adapter hanging here. And below, we have the same data set, but with the adapters trimmed as expected. Here on the top, um, this is our genome browser view, which I will sh also show you at the end of the, um, the, the webinar. We have here uh, our reference genome, and here these red bars are primers. So we can see where the primers were located. And here we have variants that were detected during uh, the variant detection step. So because of these adapters hanging here, we can see that we have some false calls, so false variants that are not the actual biological variants. They are just uh, the artifacts of this um, adapter sequences being here uh, and being matched to the reference. Uh, and so these are false calls based on the artificial sequences. And at the bottom, not only we do not have the adapters, uh, so, so there is no false uh, positive um, calls. Also the primer sequence here, primer sequence, uh, sequences are unaligned, so they are not taken into account during variant calling. So both these options prevent from the uh, false positive calls from artificial sequences in our data set.
And after uh, trimming uh, reads, you can also output a trimming uh, report. Uh, sorry, I went too uh, fast. Uh, so you can check how many reads were trimmed uh, and all details about trimming. So here uh, I should have this. Yeah, here I have trim reads report. Uh, and this trim read uh, contains the summary of the number of reads that were inputted, their average length, the amount of the sequence that were trimmed, uh, how many reads were retained after trimming, percentage of reads trimmed, and also the average length uh, after the trim. Then we can look at the graphs of the read length before and after trimming. And below that, we have a very detailed trim result. So we can check on each step of the uh, trimming, how many reads were trimmed, if there were any uh, uh, adapters found, uh, and so on. So we can take a look uh, in detail how our trimming went. Additionally, you can also uh, run again the QC4 sequencing reads on the trimmed reads and investigate again if the structure of these reads uh, matches your expectations after trimming. And, um, and uh, we also have a prepared template workflow that contains both of the tools that I just described, QC4 sequencing reads and trim reads tool. Uh, and template workflow is available in the toolbox to help you perform the QC and trimming, and you can further customize it, uh, but it allows you to have a starting point available for you. So this is here under template workflows here in the top of your toolbox. You can see preparing raw data folder. If you click on it, you have prepare raw data workflow here. So you can right click on it and open copy of the workflow and customize it further. Uh, provide the trim adapter list, or you can just run it from the toolbox and use it for the analysis. Okay, and after our data is prepared, we can go to the downstream analysis, map our reads, improve the read mapping, refine it. So first we want to map the reads to the reference. So we would like to locate where our reads are coming from. Here we have an example how it looks like. We have a reference genome on the right, we have our a collection of our reads, and the read mapping is the process in which we align these reads to the reference genome using a special read mapper algorithms that have multiple parameters that should be consider, uh, considered when running it. So let us move to the parameters available in our map reads to reference uh, tool. And it has multiple uh, options, as you can see. Uh, let's start with the read alignment options. You can see this, that there is this overview, and it starts with the match score. So match score uh, is the um, score that is assigned to the position when the nucleotide is uh, in a read matches the nucleotide in the reference genome. And uh, also we have a mismatch cause, so that will be a penalty when the nucleotide doesn't match the nucleotide in the, in the reference. I will show this in a moment. So here we have an example of such situations. We have two sequences aligned to each other. We have um, a, a match score, score here, so plus one um, for each match uh, and minus two for each mismatch. And we can also see that we have two gap cost models um, provided in the options. So linear gap cost model favors small fragmented gaps and a fine gap cost model that favors long continuous gaps, which is more commonly used. 
Uh, and if we go to the workbench, uh, we will see that it they have uh, different parameters and to ensure that they are actual uh, modeling this either long favoring long continuous gaps or smaller fragmented gaps. Um, and the read mapper will try to minimize the penalty for gaps or for mismatches as well. And gap cost model and parameters control how the gaps uh, in the read mapping are penalized. So adjusting these cost parameters above can improve the mapping quality, especially when the read error rate is high, or if the reference is expected to differ significantly from the sequenced organism. So if you have such situation, you may want to adjust these costs appropriately to your specific situation. You can also start with the default parameters, then, um, then investigate your read mapping, and then try to find the um, more relevant options for you. You can see here the example how linear gap cost here uh, is calculated differently than a fine gap cost uh, because of this difference in the um, parameters uh, that they have and uh, how this will affect the overall alignment score. So we can see which alignment score is higher um, and less penalized by the parameters selected here. Uh, here we have another example of all alignment uh, with a fine gap cost. So these uh, vertical bars show the matches. We have some uh, gaps uh, here, mismatches, and we can also take a look how this alignment score is calculated here. Um, so, um, and, and here you can also see the unaligned end, ends. So the end that is not uh, matched to the reference. Um, so this is the end of the read that is just hanging there. It's also called soft clipping sometimes. Uh, as, uh, these unaligned ends typically arise due to structural variation between reference and sample to some untrimmed adapters that may still be in your reads uh, if you didn't trim them or maybe you didn't notice that you have something like these adapters there or maybe due to deteriorating quality near the end of the read. So these, um, these bases may have worse quality than the rest of the read. Um, and um, after and the, these uh, reads are optimally aligned uh, with the maximalized uh, um, alignment score, the next set of parameters is taken into account. So here we have a filtering process that determines whether the match is good enough for the read to be included in the output. So the filtering uses two parameters, length fraction and a similarity fraction. And similarity fraction relates to the length fraction. So these two parameters should be discussed together. Length fraction tells us the minimum percentage of total alignment length that must match between reference sequence and the read. So we have here, for example, a length fraction of 0.5, meaning that at least half of the alignment must match the reference sequence before the read is included in the mapping. And um, when the length fraction is set to this 50% here, at least 50% of this alignment must have at least 83% of identity. So similarity fraction is the same as identity. So how um, many um, bases that are aligned are actually identical. Um, and again, uh, let's go to this uh, read alignment. Uh, so we went through these uh, first options. The next option that is here is global alignment option. 
So by default, mapping is done with local alignment uh, option. So the, that allows you to have these uh, unaligned ends, right? That are often of the worst quality. So they will be automatically left unaligned if there are too many differences from the reference at the ends of the reads. And for many sequencing platforms, as the quality of the base dr drops uh, along the read, uh, the local alignment approach is desirable. So this is the most commonly used option. However, sometimes you may be interested in global alignment. It is also called end-to-end -end alignment. Uh, you may not find it somewhere in the literature. So both ends of the reads are aligned. The mapper tries to align the whole sequence, whole read together, and there will be no unaligned ends. Uh, and it may be preferred in some very specific situations and very specific choice of your molecular markers. Uh, and the last option from, uh, from here uh, is the auto-detect pair distances, which is checked uh, by default. So it calculates the distance between uh, the pairs of the reads. So it's only for the paired end data set. Uh, and Workbench just uses this uh, a subset of the input reads to calculate the, this, uh, this distance. But if you uncheck it, the mapper will use the information about minimum and maximum distance which was used to import the reads and is provided as a f uh, information on your sequence list. And then uh, the last part of our uh, parameters uh, are non-specific match handling. So non-specific matches uh, refers to a situation when a read aligns at more than one position with an equally good score. So we cannot decide which place is better to put it. Uh, so in this case, you have two options. We can either uh, ignore the reads, so they will be not included in the mapping, or they can be randomly placed uh, in one of the positions that they match to. And here we have an example of such situation. So here, this is the read mapping. We can see at the top the chromosome. There are the red bars with the uh, region that is uh, zoomed in uh, below. And below, we have a coverage graph on the top, uh, so we can see how many reads are mapped in the particular region. And uh, below that, on the bottom part of this visualization, we see the specific reads mapped uh, to, to this reference. So each line represents a read. Uh, and here we can see the yellow reads here. These are the non-specific matched uh, reads, non-unique reads uh, that were grouped here together. We can see also uh, single uh, yellow reads below as well. And uh, default coloring scheme of reads is shown here uh, at the bottom. In this example, we have paired reads, so they are depicted in blue by default, darker blue in case of forward direction mapping reads, and lighter blue for reverse mapping reads. Um, and single reads by default are colored in green and red according to their direction. But these colors can be customized as preferred by the user. So there is nothing to stop you from changing the scoring scheme to the one that you favor. At this point, we have a read mapping prepared, and we may want to refine it further. So we have a tool that is called Local Realignment Tool, and this tool improves the alignment of the reads in an existing read mapping. It uses the information from other aligned reads in this region. And so it uses this existing information to realign complex regions, some uh, main, mainly around insertions or deletions or unaligned ends. Um, so these regions 
maybe uh, improved uh, thanks to this tool, thanks to this information from other reads around. And here's the example how uh, it may help. So here we have a gap, uh, some insertion in the reads, and some of them were not placed uh, as we would expect now when we see the whole read mapping, right? Um, here we see this insertion a little bit to the right. Uh, and after local realignment, using this information from all other reads that are here, local realignment tool was able to uh, remap them um, as we would expect, right? So resolve this um, complexity here. Additionally, we can guide the local realignment uh, tool using variants, structural variants detected with other tools, for example, structural variant color or indoors and structural variants uh, tool. Um, these two tools, they will output uh, the track with indels, and we can use this track the, to guide this um, local realignment. So to help uh, find and explore uh, possible options in realignment of these complex regions uh, around the detected indels. Uh, so they, that may uh, help in even, even further refining this. And after our read mappings are done, we have uh, we have also tools to check the quality of our read mapping. So we have uh, two report options. One is the uh, mapping report that is output. Uh, this is an output from MapReads to reference directly. So when you are using MapReads to reference tool, you can select the option to output this report. And we have also additional tool that is called QC for read mapping that will that can uh, be used for uh, read mapping also uh, for the read mapping after local realignment. So let me briefly show you them. Here I have the mapping report. Uh, so we can take a look at uh, the summary statistics. We can check how many reads were mapped, how many were not mapped. In case of purge reads, uh, also if there were some broken pairs of reads that were no longer uh, tied in uh, together as a pair and also distribution of read length, mapped read length, and so on. So we can check some information about our read mapping. And then we have also QC for read mapping that contains additional informations and graphs into a higher detail regarding the coverage as well. So we have a whole group of coverage statistics here that may help us assess our uh, quality of our uh, read mapping. And we may check if there is any issues that we should look at before uh, analyzing it downstream. So after we do uh, this quality control, we can uh, go to the variant calling. So we have our refined read mapping at this point. And now we want to call um, small variants, SNVs, and indels. We have a free um, variant detection tools. Um, basic variant detection tool, low frequency and fixed loyalty tool. And basic variant detection tool is actually very basic. That's that's correct. Uh, it, it will call any position that uh, shows at the specified number or frequency. So it doesn't have any uh, model to correct for sequencing errors. It will just detect anything there is that 
is in these reads. So we suggest to use this only for exploratory uh, read mapping applications, not for any actual variant calling application, just to take a look what you have in your read mapping to easily display everything uh, that there is that doesn't match to the reference. Um, that it may help you with, but for uh, actual variant calling that you would like to perform and then stream, you will use one of these two um, tools, either fixed-ploidy variant detection or low-frequency variant detection tool. So fixed-ploidy variant detection tool is used for general invariants, and we should know the ploidy of the sample that we want to analyze. Low-frequency variant detection can be used for germline and somatic variants, and can be used for a sample with unknown or with mixed ploidy. And these two, um, these two tools have different models um, because they have different functionalities. In case of fixed uh, ploidy variant, it has, uh, of course, a model for the sequencing errors. So the model that specifies uh, the probabilities of having a certain base in the read, but calling actually a different base. So that will estimate uh, this error model first and then call the variants. And there is also a model for the possible site types depend on the ploidy parameter. So if we have a deployed organism, it will expect only two alleles per site, and the site types will be uh, equivalent to this uh, assumption. And because of this, uh, it has two parameters, uh, ploidy of the analyzed sample. So this is something we should know and provide to this tool and required variant probability. So the minimum probability value of the variant site not over the variant, the variant site that is required for the variant to be called. So how good the evidence has to be for this particular site um, to report a variant. And the low frequency variant detection model uses the same model for the sequencing errors uh, and has additional multinomial models to determine the presence of different alleles at given sites. And if it's, um, uh, if the nucleotide observed in the reads are uh, due to sequencing errors of if they are significantly better explained by the presence of one or more alleles, right? There is no ploidy assumption here. And it has one parameter required significance. So this is a cutoff value for statistical tests for the variant not being due to sequencing errors. So the lower you set the cutoff of this parameter, so the lower is the required significance, the fewer variants will be called because it's, this is a threshold for the statistical test. So depending on your um, on your analysis, what you want to detect, you will select one of these two variant detection tools. And then they have um, general a lot of filters, additional filters that are common for both of these tools. General filters, uh, including masking. Uh, so you may perform variant detection only in specific regions. You can apply read filters, so which uh, reads or regions should be considered. For example, you can ignore broken reads, you can ignore non-specific matches. So even though you, for example, placed your non-specific matches on the read mapping, you can still ignore it for variant calling. And then we have a coverage and count values, so some uh, minimum requirements for the variant to be called. And then and the next section is noise filters. So these are the filters that are used to, um, to reduce um, filter variants that can be a result of systematic errors or biases coming from sequencing protocols or sample preparation steps. So we have a quality filters to remove, um, ignore the reads uh, where the um, 
they have a lower quality that we uh, expect. We have direction and position filters to remove variants that are likely arising from amplification-induced amplification bias and errors. So here it will depend on your sample preparation steps and also technology-specific filters to remove insertions and deletions that are likely due to uh, pyro-like errors in homopolymer regions. And um, our output is the variant track, and the variant track can be shown in the variant uh, in the table view, like here. And this lists all our variants that were detected, and all quality parameters and in additional information about variants that uh, we may want to look at to investigate our variants. And here I have where do I have it? Here I have variants. So this is a track list and I can switch to the table view using this option here at the bottom. So we have a small icons here that allows us to change the view. So I clicked on the second from the left to display a table. And here I can see my uh, variants. Please note that in case we have a heterozygous call or more than um, one uh, allele detected in the place, um, our workbench will show you uh, each allele in a separate row. So here we can see that it's the same chromosome, the same region, and we have here on the bottom um, reference A and allele A, so that's the reference allele, and uh, uh, above that we have A to G, so the allele that was detected here is a G. That's a heterozygous site, so it's displayed in two rows. And here you can uh, have the information about the count, coverage, frequency, uh, count for reverse and forward reads in this case, average quality of uh, the reads here, qual values, uh, base curing sum, and other parameters that you can use to um, filter your variants to uh, explore and investigate their quality as well. And here under the small um, black arrow here, you can set up or customize uh, a filter to filter your table um, according to, for example, the minimum average quality you would like to provide uh, to look at or other parameter, quality parameters that you would like to use for filtering your variants. You can add several filters at once, set it up and filter uh, this information. And regarding the parameters, uh, sometimes we have a question regarding the two parameters that are provided in this column average quality versus qual or variance called. So the average quality is the mean uh, of the quality of the nucleotide base call. So that's a probability of incorrect base calls in the read supporting the variant. So it tells us um, if the read supporting the variant are likely to have the correct base call. And this, right? So we can see that the, the maximum of this, the, of this average quality cannot be higher than general quality of reads. And the call is a variant call accuracy parameter. So it tells us the confidence of the variant being present in the sample. So both uh, these values are logarithmic linked to error probabilities. So we interpret the values um, in a similar way. Uh, however, they, tell, they provide us different information, right? So either average, average base call accuracy in the read supporting the variant or variant call uh, confidence or variant call um, accuracy. So, uh, yeah, they, they provide us two different information. And then we have uh, various options to filter and annotate variants. 
um, as you can see, we have the whole folders for variant, variant filtering, variant annotations, comparisons of them uh, regarding functional consequences, and additional tools for annotate and filtering that can be also useful for you. And several of the most common um, tools for filtering and annotations is filter against known variants. So for example, if you have a list of the variants that you know that you would like to compare your variant track with, or filter uh, these variants out, or maybe exactly retain them, you can use this tool. We have remove marginal variants tool. This one will help to remove some uh, variants with, for example, lower quality. Let me show you that one. Remove marginal variants tool here. Yeah, so we can provide a variant track as an input, and we can select any of these options that we would like to use for filtering and provide, for example, minimum frequency, average base quality, and so on. Then we have uh, tools like filter based on overlap. So for example, if we want to filter only variants that are uh, located within, for example, genes or any other regions of interest. Filter on custom criteria is the same option as I showed you that you can filter the table with, but this one can, can be used automatically in the workflow. So instead of you setting up the filtering of the table every time you want to look at the variant track, you may make it a part of your workflow and filter in the same way every time without changing anything. You can annotate your uh, variants from non-variants as well. So you can use, for example, dbsnip um, or any other um, resource as a source of annotations. So we can import the VCF with known variants and some annotations and, and use it for annotation within the workbench. You can annotate with overlap information. Again, for example, gene annotation. Uh, and you can use uh, tools like amino acid changes to check for the functional consequences of your variants uh, or uh, other tools that we offer depending on your exact needs for the uh, further annotation and also uh, what is possible for your um, reference, um, what uh, resources exist for your uh, analysis. And uh, we have a template workflow. So this is a good starting point for uh, customization and maybe for uh, also getting familiar with workflows and our tools. Uh, in this case, um, you can see, uh, for example, let me close this in the toolbox here. Uh, apart from this preparing raw data folder, we have also basic workflow designs folder here. If we click on it, you can see identify DNA germline variants workflow. And this is also uh, a basic workflow designs that shows you how to combine all these tools I mentioned today from team reads, map reads to reference, uh, local realignment with the, with the guidance from structural variants. Here we have fixed body variant detection tool selected because it's for germline variants and also some filters applied here. So we can also take a look how to add uh, filtering steps to your workflow. So you can modify this workflow or just use it as a starting point for create your own pipeline to not select all of these tools separately each time, but to have a whole pipeline that you can run together. And the additional template workflows are part of our plugins. So each plugin typically has some specific workflows that you can use to start your analysis with. So that will be also helpful.
And then when you have all these results, you probably want to visualize them in a nice form. And I already showed you some screenshots regarding the genome browser view. And you can easily do, um, prepare some uh, such view uh, by yourself. Let me just show you how to do this. Okay, uh, so here we have a new option at the top. We can select a track list. So track list will create a genome browser view. And here we can select whatever we want to um, display. So here I have a read mapping. I have a variant track list. And I also have um, amino acid changes track that will show me if um, my variants uh, have some amino acid change consequences. And I would like to add here maybe also gene track and sequence that will be homo sapiens sequence here. So it will open automatically in split view with the variant track table at the bottom. But here at the top, I have a um, um, dynamic view. I can move, drag, and drop these tools however I want to sort them. I can click on any variant of interest to, to zoom into it. And now you can see that I selected the reference sequence at the top. I have a gene track here, my read mapping with some variant detected. I can look uh, into these variants also on the variant track list here and the amino acid change. So this one doesn't actually has uh, any uh, functional consequence here, but I can go through other variants and see if there is any here, for example, that uh, will affect the amino acid um, sequence. So that's how our genome browser view uh, can be created. Here you have see another, another example of it. Uh, which also contains uh, genes, but also mRNA, transcript, CDS sequences, um, and also, again, read mapping plus some uh, amino acid track change. And for uh, resequencing, we provide a lot of resources apart from our manual that can uh, that is uh, quite broad and contains description of all of these tools and parameters. We have an FAQ page uh, that describes all tools uh, that I told you uh, about uh, today and how you can connect them into the resequencing analysis on our FAQ page. Uh, we have tutorials that also uh, include uh, tutorials about uh, resequencing analysis and white papers and application notes. And all these tools are also available from our work workbenches. So you can click on the help button or contact support button here, and you will is here on the top right, and you can see all these resources and you can um, go directly to them and look for whatever you need here. And now I'm afraid that I'll have to slowly finish. Uh, so in case you have any other Question, any questions uh, later on that we want that that you think about uh, next days, you can uh, contact our uh, Kaijin Digital Insight uh, support. You can contact us via, uh, via our email ts-bioinformatics at kaijin.com, one of our toll-free numbers, or you can chat with us on our digitalinsights.kaijin.com page. Uh, so yeah, you are welcome to use any of these options to contact us in case of any questions. Uh, I would like also to mention that we are planning other upcoming webinars, so please keep an eye on our website to see if there is anything that catches your eye. And uh, yeah, uh, thank you for, for your attention. 
All right. Thank you, Marta, for this great uh, presentation. Uh, right now, we can start our Q&A session. We have already some questions. Um, the first question is regarding your presentation. It was uh, during the uh, quality control slide uh, for mm -hmm. data before trimming. So um, the user here is asking if we could explain why there are homopolymers at the end uh, of, uh, of the diagrams. Well, if this is a question about this particular um, graph that I showed, then I don't know why it happened in that place. I think that there was an issue with fragmentation and that also uh, can lead to uh, these long tails um, there. It may depend on the data set type. Uh, so, so in some data sets, it is normal to see homopolymer uh, ends. In RNA-seq, uh, it would be um, quite normal to get it. Uh, as far as I remember, older, in, in older Illumina machines had a tendency to uh, produce poly-G signal if there was the two short fragments. Um, but I don't exactly remember. I think it was poly-G. Mm. So there might be different reasons. I'm also not a specialist from the wet lab star, uh, application, so that would be a great question for our tech service. Uh, that is really <laughs> that they are really experts in uh, troubleshooting or uh, all wet lab uh, preparation steps. So if you see something like that in your data regarding our Kayagen uh, panels, I would uh, suggest uh, asking them why uh, they may happen in your specific uh, situation if you do not expect any homopolymers because of the type of the data set you are using. Thank you, Marta, for addressing this question. We have one more question. Um, this is regarding the variant detection. The user here um, has a variant track in which um, there is one uh, multi-nucleotide uh, uh, variant code instead of single one. Uh, so if the, the user is asking if there is a, um, a method in which we could split this into two, two single nucleotide variants. Mm, yeah, that is um, that is actually what we do. So if these two SNVs are exactly next to each other, they are reported as one because that um, if that's what we see on the reads as well. So if the if the signal comes from the same reads, they will be presented as MNV every time. Uh, so if I understand correctly, you would like to report them as two separate SNVs. I don't think we can do this, uh, but I will uh, mark this question. And in case I can figure out any workaround, we will just get back to you via email. And just in case uh, I will realize how to <laughs> how to do this right now. Uh, right now, I don't have any. I don't think that's possible, but I will think about it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, thank you. Uh, there is one more question. Um, the user is asking if we could uh, provide more details on what is happening if we change the preset values. For example, if we change the filter frequency from uh, 0.05 to, for example, 0 0.1. So, for example, probably invariant detection filters, uh, I guess. Um, let me just uh, go. 
um, yeah, so um, so these are filters uh, that are already a part of the um, variant detection tool. So when you output the variant track, you will not see anything that will uh, that has uh, values below the specified threshold. So that's like that is described as absolute requirements. You will just not see anything that is below this. Uh, but if you filter your variant track afterwards and you want to filter with a variant frequency like that, it will also just look at the um, number provided in the uh, variant track, right? So you will see um, that the table is filtered out, uh, but you will you, you can just save the filtering as a new, uh, you can save the table after the filtering as a new variant track, and then it will be very easy to compare even on the genome browser view the unfiltered variant track, the filtered variant track, and see what var what type of variants was filtered, and maybe that you should have uh, changed thresholds to include some of these variants that are in general good quality, but kind of on an edge with the settings um, you provided. Uh, however, yes, in the variant detection tool, if you set the absolute requirements to the specified frequency, uh, count, or coverage, it is just not be taken into account. Uh, Okay, thank you. Uh, we have one more question. Mm -hmm. uh, can CLC automatically detect Illumina TrueSec adapters or Nexter adapters from uh, and stream uh, those for us? If it's on paired entries, yes, it can be detected with the automatic trim uh, tool. Um, however, you may still want to run the QC for sequence increase to see if it's um, um, trimmed as, as you expected in case there are some other uh, issues uh, that may influence the trimming. Uh, but in general, for parent reads, uh, it is possible to automatically detect these adapters and get them trimmed. Okay, thank you, Marta. But if you know that you have specific adapters, I would still uh, um, suggest to have the trim adapter list and use it for trimming your data. Or at least, as I said, double check that you see for sequence increase that these are uh, trimmed as expected. Okay, thank you for this great question. Uh, right now we don't have any questions, but we can give you a few minutes if you want to ask some additional questions, feel free to do so. Okay, I don't see anything popping up. So so I guess we can stop the Q&A session right now. Uh, if you have any uh, remaining questions, uh, feel free to contact us via email, phone or chat, or even the contact form Marta has previously uh, shown you uh, in the workbench. Uh, oh, thank you, Marta, for showing contact <laughs> details. I will then stop the recording uh, of this webinar. The recording will be provided.